Narcissus and Goldmund by Hermann Hesse Narrated by Simon Vance Chapter 1 Outside the entrance of the Maria Bronn cloister, whose rounded arch rested on slim double columns, a chestnut tree stood close to the road. It was a sweet chestnut, with a sturdy trunk and a full round crown that swayed gently in the wind, brought from Italy many years earlier by a monk who had made a pilgrimage to Rome. In the spring it waited until all the surrounding trees were green, and even the hazel and walnut trees were wearing ruddy foliage before sprouting its own first leaves. Then, during the shortest nights of the year, it drove the delicate white-green rays of its exotic blossoms out through tufts of leaves, filling the air with an admonishing and pungent fragrance. In October, after the grape and apple harvests, the autumn wind shook the prickly chestnuts out of the tree's burnished gold crown. The cloister students would scramble and fight for the nuts, and Prior Gregory, who came from the south, roasted them in the fireplace in his room. The beautiful treetop, secret kin to the portal's slender sandstone columns, and the stone ornaments of the window vaults and pillars, loved by the Savoyards and Latins, swayed above the cloister entrance, a conspicuous outsider in the eyes of the natives. Generations of cloister boys passed beneath the foreign tree, carrying their writing tablets, chatting, laughing, clowning and squabbling, barefoot or shod according to the season, a flower or a nut between their teeth, or a snowball in their fists. There were always newcomers, and the faces changed every few years, yet most of them resembled one another, if only for their blonde and curly hair. Some stayed for life, becoming novices and monks. They had their hair shorn, donned habit and cincture, read books, taught boys, grew old, died. Others after finishing their studies, were taken home by their parents to castles, or to merchants' and artisans' houses, and then went out into the world and lived by their wits or their crafts. They returned to the cloister occasionally as grown men, bringing their little sons to be taught by the priests, stood for a while, smiling pensively at the chestnut tree, then vanished once more. The cells and halls of the cloister, between the thick, round window vaults and the trim double columns of red stone, were filled with life, with teaching, learning, administration, ruling. Many kinds of arts and sciences, the pious and worldly, the frivolous and sombre, were pursued here, and were passed on from one generation to another. Books were written and annotated, systems invented, ancient scrolls collected, new scrolls illuminated, the faith of the people fostered, their credulity smiled upon. Erudition and piety, simplicity and cunning, the wisdom of the Testaments and the wisdom of the Greeks, white and black magic, a little of each flourished here. There was room enough for everything, room for meditation and repentance, for gregariousness and the good life. One interest would usually outweigh another, predominating in accord with the personality of the incumbent abbot or the tendency of the day. At times the cloister's reputation for exorcism and demon-detecting would attract visitors, at other times the cloister would be known for its fine music, or for a holy monk who had the power to heal and perform miracles, or for the pike soup and stag-liver pies served in the refectory. And among the throng of monks and pupils 
whether pious or lukewarm, fasting or fat, who came and lived there and died, there would always be one or another who was special, whom all loved or all feared, who seemed to be chosen, of whom people spoke long after his contemporaries had been forgotten. Even now the cloister of Maria Bron had in its midst two persons who were out of the ordinary, one old and one young. Among the many brethren who flocked to the dormitories, chapels and classrooms were two of whom all were aware, whom all respected, Abbot Daniel and Brother Narcissus. Though the latter had only recently entered on his novitiate, he had, because of his gifts, been appointed a teacher, mainly of Greek, against all tradition. These two, the aging abbot and the novice, had special standing in the house. They aroused curiosity and were watched.